We are now in part two of our sermon series, Counting Our Days. Again, we will lift our text from Psalm 90, and so may I invite you to please rise from your seats as we read Psalm 90 once again. Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man back into dust and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or is a watch in the night. You have swept them away like a flood, they fall asleep. In the morning, they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning, it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening, it fades and withers away. For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath, we have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Do return, O Lord, how long will it be? And be sorry for your servants. O satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. Shall we bow our heads in prayer at this time? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you for all that you do in our lives, O oh God, as individuals and even as a church. And Lord, in this dark season of our individual as well as our corporate lives, we put our trust in you that you are weaving a wonderful narrative, a narrative that in hindsight we will be able to say, God indeed is infinitely wise. And that is how we know you to be an infinitely wise God. And so our prayer, O Lord, is that you might provide us wisdom as we study your word. I pray for myself, O God, that you might empower me and equip me, that I might be able to speak as your mouthpiece, going beyond even the manuscript that you allowed me to prepare, so that I might be led by your Spirit to speak to the very heart of hearts of your people, to speak to their minds that they might open their spiritual eyes. I pray, Lord, that 
the study today will bring glory and honor and praise to your name. And Lord, we pray that the study today, the passages that we will read, the verses that we will exposit, will resonate in our hearts, O God. We pray, O God, that your name be glorified as always. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen and amen. Now, just as a little review in our previous sermon, remember that we talked about the eternality of God as well as the temporality of man's existence. And we saw the big contrast between our existence as well as the existence of God. Having said that, one of the things that really saddens me is that we do not oftentimes have a proper perspective of our own lives. We fail to realize the brevity of our lives and that it teeters into a kind of eternal disaster that is prepared before the people who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why James was spot on in his description as we find it here in James chapter 4 verses 13 and 14. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Now get this, brothers and sisters. Look at what this passage is saying to us near the end. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. We are told in these same scriptures that we might get to live about 70 years and at times due to strength we might even be able to live around 80 years old. If you go beyond 80 that in fact is a bonus and some people of course have lived beyond 80 years old. I know of a man who just celebrated his 98th birthday and so what a blessing it is to be able to live that long and yet when we look at that kind of existence in comparison to eternity James is spot on he was correct our life is but a vapor in a little while we will be gone and that is why we have to view things from that particular perspective so that we might be able to live our lives in wisdom. And fortunately, some people are living their lives as if they will live on forever. And therefore, they are living foolishly. They are living in wanton pleasure. They are living in narcissism, thinking that they will continually be able to satisfy all their pleasures for a long, long time. Not knowing there is no certainty to our own existence. We cannot even predict how long we will get to live. 
And that is why it is incumbent on our part to be able to live our lives in the wisdom that is given to us in the scriptures. And I believe that Psalm 90, which was written by Moses, provides for us a very sobering message. A message that hopefully will awaken us from our own spiritual slumber. A message which I hope will provide wisdom for the rest of our days. Now, Moses' psalm has a threefold message as I shared to you last time around. And so allow me to review it once again for us. Now, in verses 1 to 2, we talked about the eternality of God last time around. And then in verses 3 to 11, we talked about the temporality of man. And today, as we wrap up our third and final point, we will look at man's proper response and man's petitions for his short existence in verses 12 to 17. Now, going back to what I started off in our introduction, death and misery is part of our lives for the simple reason that Adam and Eve sinned against God. Now, you and I know, based on what scriptures tell us, that we have inherited his sinful nature. And therefore, our existence is characterized by shortness. And not only shortness, we know that our lives are beset with so much affliction. This is the reason why Jesus was overwhelmed with so much emotion when he was at the gravesite of Lazarus, his friend. And I would like to take you back into that narrative in the Gospel of John as we see the Lord Jesus Christ overwhelmed with emotion as he saw our own dilemma. And that dilemma is the dilemma of sin. So let's have a look at John chapter 11, verses 32 to 34. It says here, Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And in verse 35, the shortest verse in all of Scripture, it says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Now that might be the shortest verse of Scripture in all of the Old and New Testaments. And yet, for me, if you ask me this question, it is a very eloquent message. A message that speaks bundles about the compassion of our God. It speaks about the fact that our God is not impersonal. But He is a God who sympathizes with us. He is a God who understands our pains and our sorrows. 
He is a God who is infinitely wise and realizes that in this dilemma that you and I have with sin, only He is the only solution to this problem that you and I have. And that is why this phrase, Jesus wept, speaks bundles to me. It warms my heart. It makes me realize that my God cares for me. And that my God has a solution in place. And that one of the reasons why Jesus weeps, even continually today, is that many people fail to realize or recognize the fact that He has provided a solution for all of us. And that solution, my dear brothers and sisters, is the person of Jesus Christ. And so again, here we find the Lord Jesus overwhelmed with emotion as He understands what you and I are face to face with. The biggest problem of our lives, which is sin. Now in verses 12 to 17, we find man's proper response and man's petition for his short existence beginning from verse 12 all the way to verse 17. And this is exactly what I want to happen. There needs to be a proper response coming from us. If we understand that our life is short, if we understand that our life is brief, if we understand that the reason why our lives are miserable and transient in nature is because of the sin problem that you and I have, then hopefully you and I will properly respond to God because He already has a solution in place. And all we simply need to do is respond properly to Him and it will be well with our souls. So let's begin with verse 12. And here we find recognizing our temporality and responding in wisdom. This should be our response. Verse 12 reads, So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. So what is this verse trying to teach us? Well, it's teaching us that we need to recognize the temporality and the fragility of our lives. For what reason? So that we might arrive at the wisdom of God. And this is what Moses was hoping to achieve when he was saying, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Now, the big question, of course, is, what is the wisdom of God? And, of course, we can say, generally speaking, that it is all of Scripture. But we need to find out, what does all of Scripture point to? If we are to believe what Jesus said, and we should, He said that all of Scripture is pointing and witnessing to Him as the wisdom of God. And therefore, if we are going to be wise, we are to recognize that the wisdom of God is personified in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This is the message of Paul as we find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 21. Allow me to read this. 
It says, For sins in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Now isn't this ironic? The Bible is saying here that God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Now why is he saying that it is foolishness? Well, first of all, think about this. When Jesus Christ was crucified, we need to understand that the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ was capital punishment. It, it was a punishment that was rendered to those who were criminals. So here's the big question. If Jesus died a criminal's death, how can he possibly be my savior? How can he possibly save my soul? And to the Jews and to the Greeks, this was something that was absolutely ridiculous. But let us remind ourselves that the Lord Jesus Christ was innocent. Even Pontius Pilate was able to declare that he finds no guilt in the Lord Jesus Christ. And all the rest of the Sanhedrin likewise knew that there was absolutely nothing wrong with him. That is why they hired false witnesses. Now, why did they hire false witnesses? Because they knew Jesus was speaking the truth and he could not be caught in their lies. And so therefore, Jesus was innocent. He was the blameless Lamb of God. And unfortunately, and I would probably say fortunately for us, He was crucified that He might bear all of our sins. That He might receive the wrath of God poured upon Him as He bore the penalty of our sins. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so yes, from a human perspective, from the perspective of the Jews and from the perspective of the Greeks, this was utter foolishness. But then again, this was the wisdom of God. Allow me to continue with what uh, Paul says here in verse 22. It says, For indeed Jews ask for signs, and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block, and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And this is what we have come to know as believers in Christ. We have come to know the cross as the power of God and the wisdom of God. And how have we come to realize that? We have come to realize that because we now understand that on our own, we cannot save ourselves. That even if we were to pay the penalty of all our sins, even if you and I die, that would still not bring us to heaven. Why? Because we need the righteousness of God to be able to enter the gates of heaven. 
And that is simply what you and I do not have. And so if the justice of God would be served, not only would we die physically, we would end up in the lake of fire. Which if you were in your right mind, you would not want to be in. And so the solution of God is to provide a righteousness which can only come from Him. A righteousness which only the Lord Jesus Christ could provide. A righteousness which Jesus could impute upon us because after all, He has taken the penalty of our sins. And all we need to do is recognize that it is a free gift that is offered to us. So that if we surrender our lives to Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, this perfect righteousness would be ours. Now isn't that power? Isn't that wisdom? That is the most powerful thing that I have ever heard in my entire life. That is the most intelligent, the most wise thing I have ever learned in my life. It solves my problem with sin. It solves my problem with this brief existence. It solves my problem with my sorrow and with my misery. It solves my problem with God in whom I have become an enemy because of my sinfulness. And now, because of this power and this wisdom, I am a friend of God. I am now an adopted son of God. I am now a child of God. My name is now written in the book of life. And therefore, even if death comes knocking at the door of my life, I have no fear whatsoever because I know it becomes my servant to usher me into the very presence of my God and I come face to face with Him. Oh, the wisdom and the power of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 25 reads, Because the foolishness of God, the cross, is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men what a beauty this is what a beautiful tapestry this is as I mentioned to you right at the very beginning oftentimes when we look at the backside of the tapestry of God all we see is ugliness all we see is a mess all we see is darkness and difficulty and that's exactly what seemed to be happening when John, from a distance together with Mary and other women, were looking from a distance at the Lord Jesus Christ crucified. There was ugliness as they saw Jesus a bloody mess. There was ugliness in the fact that Jesus, the King of Kings, was stripped naked. And there were passers-by who were mocking and, and riling and, and saying all sorts of blasphemous things against the Lord Jesus Christ. All of that was ugliness. And yet what people did not realize, what the disciples did not realize, was that God was painting a very beautiful narrative 
a narrative of wisdom, a narrative of power, a narrative of glory, a narrative that will change the lives of people from generation to generation to generation. It's been about 2,000 years when the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, crucified and up until today, we are still experiencing the power of the cross and the wisdom of the cross. And our lives have been radically changed. That which was perceived as weakness was the very strength and the very power of God to save all of us. Oh, the wisdom of God. It says in verse 30 and 31 of the same chapter in Corinthians, but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us the wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That is who Jesus is to us. He is our righteousness. He is our sanctification. He is our redemption. So if you are asking the question, who will deliver us? If we were to answer the question of Paul in Romans when he said, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Our answer would be Christ Jesus, our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. So that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so this is my prayer for you, that you might find Christ to be your sanctification, that you might find Christ as your righteousness, that you might find Christ your redemption, because he will never fail you and you can be a child of God, a, a, an adopted son of God. You can be the, the friend of God. And all of that, if you understand that the work of salvation was accomplished for you at the cross by Christ. And that it was a complete transaction. And it is a transaction that we need to accept without any conditions. God does not require your good works to save you because your good works will not save you. All you need to do is receive the person and the work of Christ and salvation is yours. Now let me bring you back to that narrative. When Jesus was at the gravesite of Lazarus, he had been four days in that grave. And obviously the stench and the, the, the bad smell was there in the grave already for he had been there for a long time. And so let's pick up the story, that narrative. And let's see how Jesus saw the whole story. It says, John chapter 11, 21 and following. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Now Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? This is the message of the Lord Jesus Christ to us. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And this is a message, my dear brothers and sisters, we need to embrace in this short, brief existence that we have. The transient nature of our own lives needs to embrace this fact that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is our hope. He is our wisdom in this short existence. And so in verse 38, here's what happens to prove Jesus' point. That what he has promised, he will fulfill. It says, so Jesus again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And indeed, Lazarus came forth. He was resurrected back to life, proving that what Jesus was saying was no fluke. It was the real thing. Jesus was promising something that he himself could back up. And friends, this is our hope. For whether we realize it or not, whether we like it or not, we will all die. We might be in denial. We might try to extend our lives to the best of our abilities but we have no control of our own existence the sooner we realize that we all have an expiration date the sooner my dear brothers and sisters we realize that our hope is in God and in God alone our hope is in Jesus and in Jesus alone and our dear Jesus Christ will fulfill every promise that he has given to us. If he says that we will rise back to life, then we shall rise back to life. And that is our hope. Jesus is the answer to death. Jesus is the answer to suffering. Jesus is the answer to sorrow. He is the answer to all our woes and our problems. He is the ultimate wisdom that Moses was talking about. 
And that is why if we are to count our days correctly, we will be able to live in this wisdom and this wisdom is a person. And once we embrace Christ into our lives, the empowering of God comes upon us. He will change our heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And He will put His Spirit upon us to empower us so that we, like Paul, can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And therefore, with that power, we can now live wisely in accordance to the will of God, in accordance to what Scripture requires, and it will be well with our soul. And this is what Paul was talking about as he knew that the ones he was writing to, the Ephesians saints, had the power of God within them. This is what he said to them in Ephesians 5 verse 15, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Yes, brothers and sisters, we can live our lives in wisdom. If first of all, we have received the ultimate wisdom of God in the person of Jesus. And we will begin to live a life that is upright, a life that is correct, a life that glorifies God, and a life that brings the favor, the goodness, the blessing, the loving kindness of God upon us. Wouldn't you like to have that life? Now, in the light of what we have so far talked about, we find here in verses 13 to 17, the petition in the light of his short existence, Moses' petition, and even our petition in the light of our short existence. In verse 13, we find a plea for mercy. Verse 13 reads, Do return, O Lord, how long will it be? And be sorry for your servants. You see, we cannot change the world that you and I are living in. If we go to the book of Genesis, what do we discover? The world that you and I live in is a cursed world. It has been cursed by God. So whether we like it or not, although you and I might want to live life as if we were already in heaven, that cannot happen. You know why? Because the curse of God is upon all of creation and is upon mankind. So in other words, it is only a matter of time when you and I would in fact experience calamities Plagues and pestilence, famine, and so on. These are things, these are the realities that belong to this life. And therefore, what can we hope for? If that is what our earthly existence is going to be all about because of the curse of God, what then is our hope? Here's our hope. Our hope is we can pray. We can pray to the Almighty God. Our God is our Heavenly Father. And our Heavenly Father cares for us. And He cares for us like a mother as well. 
I recall what Isaiah says that though a nursing mother might forget her own child, he cannot forget us because he has inscribed us in the palms of his hands. And therefore, God will never ever forsake his children. So what can we do in this cursed world that we are living in? We can pray. And God hears our prayers. God hears our petitions. And this is what Moses understood. Yes, he knew that this world was cursed. But he knew that God was a prayer answering God. And so we can pray and seek the face of God. And here in verse 13, repeating once again what it says, Do return, O Lord, how long will it be? And be sorry for your servants. Here is a cry for mercy and God's undeserved favor. Now you and I know that we are all undeserving sinners. But because we have been redeemed, we have the ear of God. And because we have the ear of God, we can plea, we can make our pleas before Him and cry out for His undeserved favor. Next up, we can plea for God's loving presence and joy in verse 14. Notice how Moses prays. Oh, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Now notice here, what was the prayer of Moses all about? He was praying for God's covenant loving kindness to be upon him so that he might experience a bit of heaven, so to speak, in this short and very difficult existence of ours. I'd like you to take note of some of the words that are used here by Moses. Look at the words, satisfy, joy, and glad. And so yes, even though this world that we are living in is cursed, we can still experience the satisfaction that comes from God. We can still experience joy in our lives. In fact, in Romans 14 verse 17, this is how the kingdom of God is described. The kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. So yes, even though this world is cursed, we can still have joy. And then look at the word that is used here as well, glad. We can experience gladness in our lives. So friends, even in this cursed world that we are living in, although we must not deny the realities of this cursed existence because of the sin of our forefathers, there is still hope, even in this earthly existence of ours. And so in verse 15, we also find another prayer, a plea for reprieve in the face of discipline. Verse 15 reads, Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years we have seen evil. Now Moses knows that because of our sinfulness, it is necessary for God to discipline us. And rightly so. And yet Moses understood, however, that God is a gracious God. And though we must embrace discipline, for the sins that you and I commit, we can still 
pray to God and make a plea before God that we might experience a time of reprieve so that we might find refreshing for our souls after we have confessed and repented of our sins. So once again, there is hope. Even when we stumble, when we fall, we fail God. For as long as we confess our sins, He will bring times of refreshing in our lives after He has disciplined us. What else can we pray for? Well, here in verse 16, we find a plea for God's glory upon His people. It says here, verse 16, Let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. Moses here appeals for God's glory to be manifested, to instill in us the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. And so this is something we can pray for. God's glory upon our lives. Isn't that what Lazarus experienced? Isn't that what Mary and Martha experienced when Lazarus was resurrected back to life from the grave after he had been there for four days? They saw the manifest glory of God and that is something that you can still pray for at this time so that when you see the glory of God, the splendor of God, the majesty of God, it will instill in us great faith and the fear of the Lord. And as the Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We will be able to live our lives wisely because of the manifest glory of God. In verse 17, here is Moses' final plea. In verse 17, it says, Plea for God's blessing on our service. Let me read verse 17. It says, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. Now out of gratitude for experiencing the loving kindness of God, the mercy of God, the favor of God, what should we be doing? We should be serving God. And sometimes I cannot understand those who have received redemption, those who have received an eternal inheritance from God, how they are not serving God at this time. The life that we live is short. We only have a short period of time. We have very few years to actually serve God. Yet, and yet some of us are lazy. Some of us are complacent. Some of us think that we have time as our friend in our hands. But that is not true. We have a very short existence and we don't even know how short it is. Should we not love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength? Should we not serve Him with all of our might? There are some people who say that they will serve God after they have retired. But why not serve God here and now? 
while you have strength, while you still have your mental faculties intact, while you still have the energy, while you still have the capacity to learn more, while you still have the capacity to communicate the truth of God's word. Why are we lazy? Why are we complacent? Why are we hesitant? Why are we tentative? Let us serve God because it is a wonderful privilege to do so. It is out of gratitude that we should be able to do this. Let us spend our lives for God and for God alone. Let that be the passion of our lives. Let us not be lazy. Let us not be weary. Let us not be tired. Let us not allow our, our being burnt out to stop us from serving God. Because our King of Kings deserves the very best. Shouldn't we be doing that to the one who has saved our soul. We are to serve God in the light of the brevity of our days. I like what David Jeremiah said. He said, everyone needs to take inventory regarding how they are spending their days. A day is like a dollar. It can be spent wisely or foolishly but once it is spent, it cannot be spent again. Let me tell you something which I hope will sober you up. Today will never come again. Today will be a thing of the past. It will just be a memory. So let me ask you this question. What are you going to do about today? If you found out that today would be the very last day of your own existence, how would you spend it? I believe you would spend it and, and use it for the glory of God, spending it with all your energy and with all your might, because you know you will come face to face with your God. And that should be our attitude all the time. Let us preach as a dying man to dying men. As one well-known writer said. As one well-known preacher said. Let us preach as a dying man to dying men. Let me close our study today with a parable. Luke 12 verse 16 and following reads, and Jesus told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich 
towards God. You know what the problem of this man was? He didn't he did not number his days. He did not count his days. He did not have this realization of the brevity and the transient nature of his own life. And as such, he lived his life foolishly. May you live your life wisely, dear brethren, because our lives are in the hands of God and we don't even know how brief, how short, how fleeting it will be. May you and I serve God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Let us come in prayer before the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you for this blessed time. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to our hearts. Lord, in the weakness of this message, let it come across powerfully to your people. I pray, Father, that your word will not return to you null and void, but it may accomplish the very purpose by which you have sent it for. And Lord, whatever has been achieved today, we give you back all the glory, all the praises and thanks. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen.